Welcome, one and all, to episode 46 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I am your host, Victor, and for this episode, we bring you the new Classic Albums column for September 2011. This month, we feature Van Halen 2 by the mighty Van Halen. Let's kick things off with the track DOA, Dead or Alive.
So if you're checking out this podcast for the first time and you're wondering, why the hell did you pick Van Halen 2? Let me just go back a little and mention all the other albums that we focused on previous to Van Halen 2. We started things off with Metallica's Injustice for All. We then went on to Cleansing by Prong and then transitioned to Queens of the Stone Age songs for the deaf. Now... Everyone has written and heard about the first Van Halen album about 1984 because those are their two biggest selling albums by far. Uh, That to me does not diminish the fact that Van Halen 2 is such an important album as well. Just so many great tracks on here um, that run the whole gamut you know, of hard rock and metal. Uh, You know, maybe not metal by today's standards, but Van Halen laid such an important foundation for so many bands that came after them, whether it was their music being interpreted uh, by the glam bands of the L.A. Sunset Strip scene, whether it was thrash bands taking, you know, different things that Eddie and Alex were doing with their singing, or I'm sorry, with their playing and with their singing. You know, you hear someone like Frank Bello and Anthrax, and, you know, I could see a direct correlation um, between what, you know, Eddie and Michael Anthony are doing with backing vocals to what he lends to that band. You know, maybe it's not his direct influence, but I'm sure, you know, that sort of permeates other music and gets to, you know, to him and, and you know, that works with him to to present music the way that he does with Anthrax, with the way that he does his backing vocals. Um, there are so many things that have been, you know, discussed throughout the years with Eddie because he's been such an innovator and because of, you know, that innovation, maybe some of the other pieces of the puzzle, uh, haven't been brought out to the forefront or many years later aren't recognized as much as they should. Van Halen too, I think is the perfect, you know, case for argument with that such a great strong album is it you know played on rock radio as much as it used to be no rock radio tends to lean towards you know panama jump um their cover of you really got me uh jamie's crying things like that but there are so many tracks that for me growing up were played on regular rock radio growing up in the New York area, you know, listening to these tracks on NEW or for those of us from North Jersey uh, on WDHA. You know, you got to hear tracks like You're No Good, um, Somebody Get Me a Doctor, Beautiful Girls, uh, Women in Love from time to time. You know, some of these tracks do lean a little bit more towards, you know, poppy or, you know, maybe what the glam bands took from Van Halen. Um, But that doesn't diminish the fact that the band, once again, brought you different dynamics within this album. Uh, I do think that it's just as important as any of the other albums with David Lee Roth. And um, that's why, you know, I feel that this is the album to focus on within the Classic Albums column. And as I've mentioned in the past... Uh, The albums that are picked are the bands that have been chosen 
to be featured within this column have a lot to do with conversations that I've had with musicians uh, throughout the years that I have been interviewing people. Um, and a lot of these conversations come up off the record. You know, once you're done with focusing in on their band, you know, and you start to delve into, you know, what bands you're listening to or what you think is cool or, you know, what was maybe not not a not-so-obvious influence on someone. You know, uh, these sorts of things have come up. So that's why I decided to put this together. Um, any of the other episodes that I mentioned, you can find them on MarsAttacksRadio.com. You can also find them up on iTunes. So check that out. Uh, right there on the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com, if you go to the far right-hand side, you'll see Classic Album Column. You can click on that. You can see all the previous columns as well as an index page that will let you know who each and every one of the people that are involved in the columns are. You'll find links to their homepage, their Facebook, Twitter, Reverb Nation, so on and so forth. Uh, depending on what they have going on online, you can find that. Um, speaking of Twitter, you can find our Twitter feed right there on the right-hand side as well. If not, you can just go to Mars Aries 2005 right there on Twitter, and that's Aries, spell A-R-I-E-S, and you can follow us there. A lot of times uh, when I'm done interviewing people, I'll post a quick note up there, hey, I just finished interviewing. Uh, in this case, I just recently spoke to Chris Poland, um, obviously former guitarist of Megadeth. He'll be featured in this episode later on. Uh, I also recently spoke to Steve Zing of Danzig, Sam Hain fame, and he's got a great new band called Mare's Drug. So follow us on Twitter. That way you know who I just finished interviewing and who's coming up in future episodes as well. And what else? Uh, remember to go to Mark Striegel Radio. Stream A of Mark Striegel Radio is programmed by me and Mark Striegel. And you'll find my radio show, Mars Attacks Radio, uh, Thursdays and Fridays on that station. If you go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, you can listen to the station directly from the widget on the right-hand side. You can also find the times when the show repeats right there on the right-hand side of the homepage as well. And uh, if you're looking to send us any type of feedback, you can leave it right there on the website, or you can email us directly at input at MarsAttacksRadio.com. Right there on MarsAttacksRadio.com, you'll find all the pertinent links to everything that we have going on and um, let's move forward here we're going to play another track off of the album let's get into the track that kicks things off let's do uh, You're No Good which is a cover and then after that we're going to get into uh, Mark Striegel from Talking Metal uh, we'll get into his commentary and um as I mentioned, go to MarkStriegelRadio.com. If you're not familiar with the station, it's 24 hours of hard rock and metal. Uh, all types of hard rock and metal, all eras, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, today. Uh, anything that you're looking for, we have it all shuffled in there in the mix. 
And uh, if you're looking for that, that is Mark Striegel, and Striegel is spelled S-T-R-I-G-L. And uh, also go to Talking Metal and check out what they have going on. As I've said a million times, if it wasn't for Mark, you wouldn't be listening to me today. So uh, thanks to Mark for participating, and here we go. You're no good, and then we're going to jump right into Mark's commentary. Yeah, Van Halen too was definitely again one of my favorites. I, I remember even reading Steve Harris from Iron Maiden saying that those first two Van Halen albums he you know he just loved to death. Um, such such a uh, a great album, and a lot of people always point back to that first album, but. The, the second Van Halen record definitely had just has so much power and so much punch and so much fun attitude. It it just, uh, you know, was to me just pure California rock and roll, you know, uh, with Dance the Night Away, Somebody Give Me a Doctor, and so many great tracks. Eddie's uh, acoustic Spanish Fly track was, was just awesome on that. And, you know, Van Halen was always so interesting because, you know, David Lee Roth was originally, you know, his family uh, 
originally from the New York area. I think he moved to California from maybe possibly the Chicago area. And, of course, the Van Halen brothers, um, who were immigrants, not even born in, in California. But for some reason, this band just was able to capture the perfect California sound and vibe of the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And Van Halen, too, just always uh, stands out as one of Van Halen's uh, greatest records, for sure. Okay. And a track off of that. I like Somebody Get Me a Doctor. What did you think of Michael Anthony singing that in concert when uh, Sharon was actually the singer? And, and I guess when Sammy came back, he, they, he actually sung the track as well. Uh, I don't know, you know, I didn't see that tour, so I, I, I can't really <laughs> comment on that, yeah. Okay. I mean, cool. the one, the one, Michael Anthony, though, I mean, on I, Van Halen, too, and on every other Van Halen album, you know, Michael Anthony, well, not every other, but at least the early Van Halen stuff all the way through probably Van Halen 3, you know, Michael Anthony's vocals were just always such a, a big part of that band, and, and uh, you know, even though he wasn't the, the world's greatest bass player, um, his bass playing always was just perfect uh, backdrop for Eddie and Alex's uh, and Dave's, you know, parts. Um, and a very important member of that band is also often overlooked. go a little somebody get me a doctor by van halen uh we're gonna move forward here and include mr alan tecchio of hades nonfiction and autumn hour um we were just informed that he has rejoined seven wit Seven Witches, almost said Seven Wishes, excuse me, Seven Witches for a few shows that they're going to be doing with Armored Saint. 
uh, on the East Coast. Should be some really cool shows. Uh, Armored Saint and definitely John Bush. Very big fan of John Bush. So, um, yeah, would love to see those shows. Unfortunately, being on this side of the world, the wrong side of the world for things like this, uh, going to have to uh, miss out on that. So uh, let's get into a little Out of Love again off of Van Halen 2 and jump right into Alan Tecchio's comments. My childhood, uh, growing up, just starting to play in cover bands, we were doing a bunch of songs from the first two records, actually, by Van Halen, and that was just an exciting time, you know, for music, uh, as a kid, anyway, uh, there was nobody like Eddie Van Halen out there, although, however, I just read the Joe MacGyver book, Crazy Strains, like the story of Randy Rhodes, and I didn't know that Randy and he were sort of like, I mean, he was a little bit, a few years ahead of Randy on the scene right. in L.A., but... They were, like, regarded as, you know, top contenders in that area for, for shredders, uh, along with George Lynch and um, some other dude whose name I forget that never made it. And apparently the, they cite his losing his hair at an early age to the fact that he wasn't just, he wasn't commercially appealing, you know, but the other guys all went on to big stuff. So uh, oh. as far as the Van Halen 2 record goes, I mean, that's it's just phenomenal stuff. It brings me right back to those days uh, growing up when I hear anything off of that record.
a little Spanish fly coming off of Van Halen 2. We're going to get into the great author Martin Popoff's interpretation of Van Halen 2. Martin has written books on all types of hard rock and metal. Uh, later books that he has featured on his site include books by Deep Purple, or, or I'm sorry, books about Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, different types of collectible items. Uh, he has a sale on ebooks going on right now. Go to martinpopoff.com. That's P O P O F F. And uh, check out all the books he has to offer. Uh, let's get into a little Dance the Night Away before transitioning into what Martin had to say about this album. Van Halen 2 is the first one uh, that is of the Brown sound. I mean, the first album is a great album. Obviously, it's a classic, but it really isn't the Van Halen sound. It's almost better than the Van Halen sound. Um, the Van Halen sound basically starts with Van Halen 2. I love it because it's kind of a dark horse album. It's got some, some really good dark rockers on it, like Somebody Get Me a Doctor and DOA. It's just a very cool, ragged album. I think it's the first album by them that makes you think of Led Zeppelin and Queen, the, the taking chances, the, uh, the kind of first take spontaneity of the band. And again, I, I think it's the one that, uh, that kicks off the Van Halen Brown sound. And, uh, you know, I think they were punished for it. I, I think, um, people, nobody thought it was as good as the first album. Um, and so they had to constantly play catch up. And I don't think they ever uh, re recovered really from making that first album so good. Almost every album after that seemed like a bit of a toss off, but you got to love Van Halen for that.
There you go, a little dance the night away off of Van Halen 2. Next up is Dave Reffitt, a amazing, amazing guitarist. Uh, one of the best kept secrets out there. Uh, he let me know that he's working on a quote-unquote big project that he really couldn't uh, discuss. Uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to him in the future regarding that. In any event, if you haven't checked out his Shredding the Envelope project, I definitely recommend you do so. We're going to have an interview with him in a few weeks regarding this. And uh, it's just so cool to talk to him about how he pulled everything together, all of the various guest musicians that appear on the album. Um, a hot topic of conversation, obviously, is Mike Mangini and Dream Theater. Um, Mike Mangini plays all of the drums on the Shredding the Envelope project. And a uh, very, very cool album. And it's interesting because, in my opinion, there are all those great guests on there. But, and I'm not saying this to kiss anyone's ass, his playing, Dave's playing, is so good that he honestly didn't need to include any of these players. It's icing on top, but uh, yeah, um, Dave gave us some great comments, and I have to be honest, Dave helped set up a lot of the um, interviews with uh, a lot of the people that appear here, and I will be eternally uh, grateful to him for doing so. Uh, In any event, what we're going to do is get into a little Beautiful Girls before we jump into Dave's part of the episode. And remember, uh, if you're not sure who anyone is, if you want to find out about Dave Reffitt, where he is on the web, where you can check his music out, go to the index page that will be at the top of the post that is associated to this album's column. And just click on index. Everything is listed there in alphabetical order. Go down to Dave Reffitt. And from there, you'll be able to check out exactly what Dave has to offer. So let's jump into Beautiful Girls and follow that up with Dave's commentary. Shade and all I need is the woman. I'm a snack. But a sweet talking honey with a little bit of money. She don't know how to run. 
Uh, Van Halen 2 is a fantastic album for sure, man. I mean, like, um, you know, some of my friends growing up, like, you know, were just balls to the wall, had to be thrash metal all the time. But I actually enjoyed, you know, even songs like Dance the Night Away and stuff like that. Uh, Beautiful Girls is another one. It, we know whenever that comes on the radio, I crank it up, man, because that's just a fun, really great song. And um, Eddie Van Halen for me, man, I always, when I talk about Eddie, I always refer to him as like the Michael Jordan of guitar. You know, that's what he means to me. Like, like if you followed sports back in the day, Michael Jordan was like so much better than everyone else that it was like, it was almost like he was an alien. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what Eddie is to me. Like, he was just so over the top um, and such a killer player, um, so ahead of his time. And, and even today, I think a lot of the stuff that he did really hasn't been touched in terms of tone and feel and uh, technique and phrasing and, you know, just a lot of that stuff is killer. Just, you know, just he's just a badass player, badass musician. Um, Spanish Fly, that's another one on this record that, uh, you know, everybody talks a lot about Eruption, and, and of course Eruption is amazing, but Spanish Fly is, is really, really cool. The fact that he's doing it on a nylon string acoustic, I mean, that just takes it to another level. Because anybody that plays guitar, you know, knows that a, a nylon string acoustic is way, way tougher to play than a uh, than an electric guitar. You know, an electric guitar, you can put eights on it, and you know, and all that, and have the action really low. And the nylon string kind of separates the men from the boys, you know. And Eddie's wailing on this one, you know. And it kind of inspired, like, um, like Zach Wilde did one called Chupacabre, I think it's called. And um, I think he's playing on a nylon in that one, too. There's another one that Zach did, um, Taz, I think it's called, T-A-Z. And that might be on a regular acoustic. But whatever it is, um, it's definitely inspired by, you know, Spanish Fly. Because I, I know Zach's a big Van Halen guy. But uh, just a great record, man. Now I'm a seaside sitting, just smoking and a drink in a ringside. And all I need is a beautiful girl. Beautiful girl. Oh, yeah. Here I am, ain't no man of the world. All I need is a beautiful girl. Oh, yeah. Beautiful girl. Oh, yeah. Nothing else I need. Oh, yeah. Beautiful girl. Such a cell phone. There you go, a little kiss to send things off uh, from Beautiful Girls. Uh, up next is Glenn Drover, former guitarist of Megadeth, has been involved with Testament and King Diamond in the past, just recently did a live online performance 
Uh, took me a few times to get that one right. But anyway, uh, check that out. Also, um, you'll find a link over to his site. He mentioned that he's working on another project as we speak. And uh, hopefully we'll hook up with him at some point down the road to discuss that project as well. Uh, let's get into a little bottoms up before we jump into the Glen Drover segment. about Van Halen too is that I remember Sean, my brother who's the drummer in Megadeth I remember I was, I was, God, I must have been about I don't know how old then seven, eight, something like that and I remember going, we just lived in a, in a, in a small town outside of Montreal, Quebec and um, he went on this tournament a soccer tournament, played a lot of soccer when he was younger and stuff and uh, went away to Florida or something we went to pick him up at the airport and he had bought Van Halen 1 and Van Halen 2 on 8-track. Remember <laughs> the old 8-track eight, eight cartridges, you know? And right. um, I was blown away because that was, you know, obviously the guitar playing was, was fresh at the time and, and you know, it's very innovative and, you know, listening to Eddie play is amazing. To this day, it's still, you know, as exciting, I find, for me, as it was back then. But Van Halen 2 is uh, definitely one of my favorites. I, I feel it's like a continuation of the first record, you know? It's got a lot of the same kind of production and guitar tones are pretty pretty similar and you know and to me it's just as strong as the first record you know they're all just, there's no there's no bad songs on the album they're all just all great tunes and you know and i still love you know for me i i, I find it still you know as um you know just as, as fun to listen to nowadays as it was back then when i was just discovering all that stuff so okay um my only question regarding that do you feel that uh, perhaps the first album overshadows Van Halen 2? Yeah, I think it probably does. Just because of you know, its popularity, Van Halen 1 is, is considered probably by most people to be, you know, their, you know, one of the strongest records, if not the strongest. And, and, and you know, I mean, Running With The Devil and uh, Ain't Talking About Love and, and all these kind of songs are just, you know, you hear these songs to this day on, on all rock radio everywhere. And, um, you know, I, for, for me, that's kind of like, I think it's probably like their Led Zeppelin four, you know what I mean? It was it was their you know, that's probably the the pinnacle is the first record, but uh you know, but like you know, I think probably from uh a lot of people's opinions. But for me, yeah, the you know, the first two records are, are I, I find they're on 
you know, this, I put those those two albums on the same level. Little Bottoms Up off of Van Halen 2. Up next is John, one of the hosts from Iron City Rocks. Uh, It's a podcast which does similar to what Mars Attacks and Talking Metal and uh, stuff like that. Uh, Some people could say that, you know, what are you doing uh, having your competition, you know, included? Uh, I don't see... What I do is competition to anyone, (laughs) you know, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I'm just a fan in the end that, you know, loves just talking about music and is a music geek and, you know, loves, um, you know, putting these columns together, the various shows and, and helping promote bands that I dig or albums that I dig. And, you know, if one person goes back and revisits this or turns someone on to you know, Van Halen 2, or as a result, they get turned on to Iron City Rocks or vice versa, you know, I think we all end up winning in the end. Uh, you know, let's let's not kid ourselves here. I mean, I'm not making any money off of this, and, you know, I do this strictly as a hobby. So uh, if if those guys are making money or whatever, you know, that's irrelevant and you know, good for them or whatever. Again, I don't see any of the various shows that I've involved in this or hosts or whatever uh, as any sort of competition. Uh, If you go to the website, you'll also find Dom from Maximum Threshold actually provided us with comments for Van Halen too as well. And uh, again, anything I can do to help, you know, promote someone else's show or vice versa, you know, in the end, we're just cross-promoting one another in the end, but um, let's do a little uh, women in love and then jump into John's comments. And let's not forget ironcityrocks.com. Thank you. 
All right, folks, Van Halen 2. Um, I will say that this was, I believe, the second David Lee Roth album I purchased. I had originally discovered Van Halen around the 1986 era with 5150 and sort of worked my way backward. And I will preface it with saying my second Van Halen album was Diver Down. So moving to Van Halen 2, quite a step up, honestly. Um, And I will be honest that the reason I picked Van Halen 2 over Van Halen 1 was I thought the album cover was cooler, uh, which is, uh, as we in metal know, that's a great reason to buy an album. So looking at the tracks on the album, um, far and away my favorite Van Halen song ever, Dance the Night Away. Um, Hmm. You know, probably an odd choice. Uh, It's very poppy. Um, but I love the, the kind of tapping harmonics of the solo. It's so musical and, um, I don't want to say not what Eddie does, but, uh, what Eddie did brilliantly on that song. Um, the thing with this album is I think with a lot of Van Halen albums, there are songs I absolutely love and songs I absolutely hate. Um, right. I have to say somebody get me a doctor, I think is one of the coolest guitar riffs. But the actual song and the chorus is sort of to me like nails on a chalkboard. And I, I kind of put that in David <laughs> Lee Roth's lap. Um, right. The the two ending tracks to me uh, always seem to be real standouts. And I, again, I discovered this album way after the fact. Uh, and I know Beautiful Girls was released as a single. Um, and I mm-hmm. think Women in Love uh, would have been a pretty song sing- a strong single as well. Um, their version of No, You're No Good, I actually think the original from uh, Mr. Ballard was better than their version. But in saying that, I mean, honestly, Dance the Night Away, Beautiful Girls, Women in Love, to me, really made this album pop and kind of stand out again. Being only my third Van Halen album, too, again, it was a, a reference point. You know, Diver Down is essentially a covers album. So Van right. Halen 2, um, in this case, only including one cover album, or I'm sorry, one cover song, really I thought was great. Um, and it totally hooked me. I, I know from there I bought 1984 and then only got back to the original Van Halen album. And I've always been jealous of people that discovered Van Halen in chronological order uh, because Van Halen uh, was such an epic album. Van Halen 2 people probably could have labeled it as a sophomore jinx. But uh, to me, again, listening to them sort of out of order, I thought it was great. Um, to the point, I uh, love that album so much that I actually built a replica of the guitar on the back cover, uh, the black and yellow uh, Strat. Um, right. Production-wise, not great. But again, it was 1978 when they recorded this album, so... You know, they weren't doing this in Pro Tools or something. So it uh, stands up pretty well. Um, could have been a little longer, 32 minutes. Uh, you know, it's like a, like a, you know, pretty quick. It's like a Ramones album length. So <laughs> could use it to be a little longer. Um, but again, uh, certainly a must-have in my collection. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. The three tracks that you pointed out way back when... Uh, on classic rock radio, you'd hear those tracks all the time. Mm-hmm. You'd never hear any of that stuff on, you know, U.S.-based classic rock stations anymore. You know, you hardly hear anything 
that doesn't come off of either the first album or um, 1984. And it's sort of sad. You will occasionally hear Dance the Night Away. Um, Right. But I could see that almost making uh, airplay on a light rock station. You know, it's a very poppy song, I'll admit. It's not... uh, not uh, even close to a heavy metal song, but I don't think Van Halen really right. is a heavy metal band. They're a hard rock band, and I don't even know if that's a hard rock song. Um, right. But Dance the Night Away, to me, almost sounds like it could have been an arena rock kind of song, you know, like A, a Journey, mm-hmm. A Foreigner, you know, those kind of songs, because it's one of those ones where you can really s- sing it, and, you know, it's it's fun, it's very poppy, so... Right. You know, as a, what was I, 16 at the time, I think, when I got this album? You know, it was a whole lot better than what was being played on the radio at that point, you know? (laughs) Right. So. Okay. And uh, interesting note, uh, I actually didn't build that guitar, but I actually... um, uh, purchased a guitar similar to it. It's a knockoff, though. Um, Excellent. A few years back when all of these uh, uh, Chinese guitars started appearing up on eBay, Yeah. Uh, I I bought the exact replica. And when I bought it, I said, you know, I don't care if it works or not. You know, uh, worst case scenario, this is going up on my wall. It's wall art, yeah. Um, yeah, because that, that guitar is so cool. And uh, ultimately, if I'm not mistaken, that's the guitar that uh, Dimebag Daryl was buried with. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I, um, the the one that I bought, I actually uh, or made, I should say, started out as an unfinished kit, and uh, I, I oddly enough built the replica, sort of of the the more recent um, EVH guitar from Charvel. Okay. The, those ones that they did probably in the late 2000s. Um, right. Right. So it has a, a Floyd Rose and a drop D tuner just because, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it, it was kind of odd. The classic Eddie Van Halen guitar, again, discovering Van Halen in 1986 or 87 or whatever year that was, was the 5150 Kramer guitar, you know. Right. The one from, Van, you know, the first Van Halen album, to me, that was like, oh, why doesn't it have a Floyd Rose? You know, how does he, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, and it's iconic. And, it, and the amazing thing is you're talking about a guitarist that's so important uh, musically, that he doesn't have just one iconic guitar. Like you think Stevie Ray Vaughan, you think of the number one guitar. You think of Eric Clapton. You right. think of you know Black Fender Strap. You think Eddie Van Halen. You think of the red and white one, the bl- black and yellow one. You know he's got the Wolfgang. He's got uh, if you remember that really cool Steinberger he had. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? That was like the Frankenstein. The yeah. same deal. The uh, yeah. red with the white stripes. Right. Yeah. He had that uh, Explorer that he hacked up. I mean that. Yep. That's a testament to a guitarist. You know that. Uh, <laughs> you know he's that important. So. Um, big big uh, thumbs up, Daddy. Yeah. The one thing, and I'm more of a drummer myself. Um, when I put this list together, I revisited a lot of these uh, albums to decide which album I was going to select. And with the Van Halen, you know, everyone gravitates to the two that I mentioned before, the first album and, and 1984. To me, after all these years, looking back in hindsight, I truly think that Alex Van Halen is probably one of the most underestimated drummers of all time as well, just because of a lot of things that he was including in songs that were uh, maybe a lot more poppy 
um, or, you know, radio friendly. And he was doing things with double bass and even thrashy type stuff uh, before, you know, bands like Anthrax or Slayer or Metallica were doing a lot of these things. So Mm. um, I think he doesn't get the credit that he deserves and probably because, you know, he's so overshadowed by his brother. Yeah, I mean, I will say this as a non-drummer. The only thing I can say about Alex Van Halen is the fact that he leaves his uh, hi hat open. <laughs> you know, it's so distinct <laughs> that I don't need to hear anything else other than that. Um, you know, I remember uh, the beginning of was it Hot for Teacher that has that drum called right. pseudo solo. I remember having the cassette and being in the car with my dad, and my dad that song came on, and he actually started to pull over, thinking he blew out a tire when that song came on because of that noise. <laughs> And if you listen to it, you can kind of see where he was going with that. But, yeah, I mean, the ability, uh, you know, Eddie and Alex to almost speak musically, telekinetically, almost, is is, is amazing. Yeah. Right. Undeniable. transition that into a little you're no good and uh, after you're no good we'll have a little bit of Chris Poland discussing how Van Halen influenced him
Uh, those are all the all the first, you know, all the records with David Lee Roth. I think were probably the best of the Van Halen records, and basically, yeah, it kind of affected my tone when I first heard his tone. I was like, I could tell we came from the same. Uh, I could tell he was in the cream when I heard him play, and I, I I did like his tone, and you know, so that was kind of a standard for tone back then, so. You had to have something either close to that or, you know, not that I was copying his tone, but I did really like, you know, the way it sounded. I really appreciated his, his playing and stuff. A Little You're No Good, coming off of Van Halen 2. Up next is Gene Hoagland. As he mentioned in his ID, he's played with pretty much every one of your favorite metal bands. Uh, If nothing else, if there's no other reason to check out these classic albums columns, it's to check out Gene and his commentary. They're things that he mentions, good, bad, and different about bands. And uh, you'll see it, or you'll hear it right off the bat with him discussing Van Halen 2. He grew up in the L.A. area, so he saw a lot of these bands rise to their prominence. Um, A lot of bands that became famous. And uh, he's going to mention something about Light Up the Sky, which is the track that we're going to wrap around uh, his commentary. And uh, very interesting because uh, something that I never really uh, noticed, there's you know all this discussion about who invented this, who invented that. Um, the last person up is Charlie Benante. Everyone always comments about how Charlie, uh, as innovative as he is, everyone attributes the blast beat to Charlie due to his work in SOD and so on and so forth. Um, Gene points out how the end of Light Up the Sky has a blast beat. And to my amazement, you'll hear my uh, dumbfounded comment to an extent there, and um, how how I didn't realize it previously. So let's jump into Light Up the Sky, listen to Gene's comments, and hear exactly what he was talking about. Burn. And it was a wave of beauty, but you never get a love. Cross the line, but none return. 
awesome record. Absolutely influential on myself. Uh, Alex Van Halen's drums were incredible. Like, I, I am an absolute child of the first four Van Halen records. Um, you know, those were, you know, back in 78 when they released their first album. Uh, you know, I was 10 years old when that one came out and that hmm. thing never left my, never left my turntable. That was, I was a huge fan of them. I, I you know, I remember when I was a kid, 10, 11 going, man, I want to be in a rock band. I want my band to sound just like Van Halen's first album because I always dub fast songs and the first album had tons of fast songs. And, yeah. you know, Van Halen, too, had one of the most glorious double bass fast songs ever in Light Up the Sky. What a great yep. song. And <laughs> I remember learning the drum solo when I was 12 because I was going to audition for this band. And I thought, OK, well, if I do the little drum solo in the middle of Light Up the Sky, you know, then I'll get the little gig with the band. And, and so, you know, I could I that was one of my air drumming classic albums. And, and you know, it's it was killer songs like D.O.A., what a yep. fantastic riff and just fun songs. I mean, Van Halen stood for fun with a little bit of heavy, with, you know, with a lot of heavy. And, you know, they were the shit. I could see their influence absolutely on Pantera because Pantera was yep. like just an updated, metalized version of of Van Halen. And, you know, in they bring heavy and bring a lot of fun too. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I thought it was kind of a shame that a lot of that, uh, you know, homo horrible, well, sorry for using an un-PC term, I meant fag-based uh, cock rock from, <laughs> from L.A., you know, that, you know, so many bands like Motley Crue and all those gay L.A. bands, they, 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 you know, they took the party atmosphere from Van Halen, but they didn't bring, like, the, the music. And, right. you know, a lot of their music was just so plastic and just contrived, and it's like, hey, we're going to party every night on stage like David Roth. You know, that's that's cool, but that was Van Halen's gig, and Van Halen, you know, had the playing, had the tunes, and, you know, Van Halen, too, was, was, a, was a killer record, you know, totally, from, from top to bottom. There's not a dud on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Coming back to the whole uh, true and, and cult thing, I've said it to millions of people, not millions, but a ton of people that, you know, without Van Halen, you don't have Pantera, you don't have Lamb of God, you don't have a lot of the drumming that that came after that. And looking back before, actually I was reading a Van Halen book, and I went back and I listened to those first four albums in their entirety for the first time in years. And I really focused in on, yeah, on, on Alex Van Halen's playing. Because I'd always heard Eddie say, well, outside of Bonham, Alex is the only person that you know, has ever really influenced or, you know, invented anything. And listening to a lot of the double bass stuff that he did, he was probably the first in adding some of those patterns to playing, which a lot of people updated or, you know, put their own spin on them and possibly influenced, you know, a lot of early thrash and, and things like that. So I... Do you I think that... totally think they did. I, I agree totally. Like like a lot of Alex's patterns with uh, the, the double bass, you know, the the staggered kind of swing pattern that he did. Yeah. The, um, in in like when they're when they're doing kind of a six eight sort of number, but the blues pattern that he would throw in, you know, not you could hear that on Pantera records, you know, like Psycho Holiday, the double yeah. chunk in double <laughs> bass, and you know, I I think that's I think. Uh, Vinny would readily admit, that, hey, man, I first heard 
Alex doing that because he was the first guy I heard doing a double bass pattern like that, and I thought that was really cool. You know, hey, it makes it way easier to play, I tell you. And you can do a whole bunch of cool stuff with the double bass doing a, a swing shuffle pattern. So, so yeah, absolute influence on myself, totally. The first four Van Halen albums, you can pick any one of those, and there's, God, just glory on any of their first four records, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and you mentioned uh, off of Van Halen two my two favorite tracks, which are Light Up the Sky and, and DOA. I mean, Light Up the sure. Sky is just so cool. After that solo, where it just slows down, gets really low, and then all of a sudden they just smack you in the mouth with the you know chorus going out of the song. Yeah, and that's that's really awesome because, hey, there's a blast beat right at the end of that little mellow part. Pop, 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 you know, hey, quick little, little blast beat. Nice. Light Up the Sky by Van Halen coming off of the album that is featured on this month's Classic Albums column. That is Van Halen 2. And let's not forget, go to the website and check out the comments from others that chose to submit their comments via email. Uh, We have Bumblefoot from Guns N' Roses, Greg Prado, awesome writer, journalist, author, um, we have Dave Starr from Wildstar and Vicious Rumors. Dan Lorenzo from Hades, Nonfiction and the Cursed, providing us with comments like only Dan Lorenzo can. John Leone from White Wizard. Eric Klubert of Gypsy Hawk. We have Ricky Armolino from This or the Apocalypse. Classic, classic, classic producer, super producer. Chris Sangarides, um, he gives us his interpretation of Van Halen 2 as well. Kevin Estrada, a good friend from way back from when I was in college radio, and uh, a great photographer. And uh, way back when, he used to tell me all these great stories about seeing Van Halen before they were signed and during this era. So his comments are just so cool to have him you know, jump on board and lend his comments because he's one of those people that saw their, you know, rise to stardom. Uh, Jim Florentine, comic and co-host of that metal show. JL from the Spanish band Wayne, such a great, great band, sort of a hidden treasure over here. We have Chris Shrum and uh, Mickey Pannone from Benedictum. John Nyman of Y&T. Will Carroll of Death Angel, Steve Smythe of Forbidden, Nevermore, Testament, so on and so forth. Chad Bauer, he is in charge of About.com's heavy metal section. It is one of the premier sites today to find interviews, reviews, and different things uh, regarding metal. And we have Carl 
from the band Divine Ascension, who has also commented. And as I mentioned, uh, Dominic from Maximum Threshold as well. So go to the site and check out all of their various comments. Definitely worthwhile reading and checking out. And, you know, hey, some of these comments are good. Some of these are, you know, uh, could be considered negative. Uh, and some, um, you know, indifferent. But that's the beauty, you know. I also didn't want home run answers for everything and wanted everyone to uh, just express what was on their mind regarding, uh, you know, this album. Uh, What we're going to do now is uh, jump into Charlie Benante's uh, comments. Remember that... Uh, Anthrax just put out Worship Music uh, definitely worth checking out if you're a diehard fan of the band uh, again with Joey Belladonna back in the fold and we're going to bring things full circle here similar to Anthrax uh, we're going to wrap things up with the song that we kick things off with Dead or Alive and um, we'll end the episode with Charlie's comments And um, just want to remind you guys to go to uh, MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out when the radio show plays, to check out previous interviews or episodes of the podcast, to find out how to get to Twitter, so on and so forth. Remember to also go to Mark Striegel Radio. There's a link to that right on the homepage. And there's a widget where you can listen to the stream that I help program directly from the homepage as well. If you want to get involved with this column, just send your comments or just, you know, email us at input at marsattacksradio.com and we'll hook you up with a list of albums that will be discussed in the future. And, uh, yeah, the idea here is to keep things going, add additional, you know, guest commentators as things go on and, You know, truly, the stars of these shows are, without a doubt, the albums that we're discussing, the people that were involved in putting them together, and the various people that were so gracious enough to come on and lend their comments uh, regarding these various albums. So um, let's wrap things up once again with DOA, Dead or Alive, uh, Charlie's Comments, And we'll send things home from there. Thanks for listening and hope you've enjoyed this episode and hope to see you some other time in the future right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
So basically, Van Halen 2 is uh, the leftover from Van Halen 1, um, but it has great moments on it just the same. There's, you know, they have one of, the, for me, one of the best pop songs ever written, Dance the Night Away, uh, is on that record. And it's such a killer tune, man. Every time I hear that song, it just makes me happy because it just, I feel like it should be summer. It could be February, <laughs> fucking, you know, 10 below. I'll put that song on and I feel like I should be on a beach somewhere having a good time, you know, whatever. Um, that's what that band does for me. It takes me away to some other place because it's, uh, you know, the music is just such a good time. Um, right. And they were fucking heavy as hell, too, back, in, you know, back then, too. Light Up the Sky is such a killer tune, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that record. Beautiful Girls is on that record. Dead or Alive is on that record. It's just uh, Somebody Get Me, Doctor is on that record. It's fucking perfect follow-up from the first album. They rule. They're just raw. They're, and again, it goes back to that thing I said about like Paul McCartney having raw talent. Um, uh, that's the way I felt about Van Halen. You know, they just, you know, boom, just, they just went for it, man. And I think it's the lyric from one of the songs, you know, hit the ground running. I, I just think that for me, Van Halen did more for American hard rock in the seventies into the eighties than any other band. No, I was going to say it, it definitely defined, you know, what a lot of bands did after that, you know, it for good or for worse. did that, exactly. What it did was, okay, you have one side of it that totally opened the door for a lot of that cr crappy poser shit that came after it. Yeah. Uh, when people started to dress up more than they would, would show up to play their instrument, they wanted to just look the part. Uh, what it also did was revolutionize guitar playing. There wasn't uh, a person after Eddie Van Halen that didn't have some sort of crazy design on the guitar or didn't use the whammy bar or didn't finger tap the way Eddie Van Halen did. Uh, it was as if um, this guy just came from fucking Mars and <laughs> every kid in, 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 in the land just w was like, oh my God, this fucking alien just, just came here and I want to be exactly like him. Let's face it. I mean, if it wasn't for Eddie Van Halen, uh, come on, guitar playing nowadays wouldn't be nowhere. You wouldn't have a, a Dimebag Daryl without Eric, or I'm sorry, without Eddie Van Halen. You wouldn't have, you know, bands of today like Lamb of God without, you know, Eddie Van Halen. And again, someone that uh, uh, maybe uh, in these past few years, because they haven't put out any albums, a, a lot of magazines or, or people have, have panned for some stupid reason. I agree. I, I think Van Halen was just the uh, the thing that needed to happen in in American rock music because prior to Van Halen, what was happening was you had a lot of um, it became you know album oriented rock where a lot of it was just FM based music and uh, Kiss was on the demise uh, as much as I hate to say that they were Van Halen came and just gave a kick to everything. And that was it, man. Forget about it. They were on their own level after that. And uh, they fucking ruled. And they ruled for about a good six to seven years. It was, they were unstoppable. I, I love those records. As a matter of fact, you know, I was kind of uh, on a Van Halen kick about a month or two ago. And I was just listening to everything. And, uh, and 
what I believed back then, I still believe now, that Women Children First is a fucking classic. Fair Warning is another monumental record which is, that has such great fucking tunes on there. The, the song I love on that record that a lot of people don't know, I mean, they know, of course, but they don't dig it, is One Foot Out the Door, which was kind of like set up the next fucking record because it had, a, yeah. it had keyboards on it. And that pretty much was setting up where they were going with the next record. I love that record. Yeah. I love it. Love it.